Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to WMUA Sports here on WMUA Amherst. This is the football show. My name is Jesse Clark, and I'll be your host today. Pre-recording this on a beautiful Sunday. Got some Sunday football going on, NFL being back and all. Don't worry, though. Even though it's going to be broadcasted on a Monday, it should still be a pretty good show. And we're not actually talking about the NFL because we have some big, 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 big college news. The Big Ten is back. They announced this past week that they would indeed resume playing football. They're going to figure out their schedule. They're going to start in about four or five weeks. The most notable player, ecstatic by this new revelation, of course, Justin Fields, who was one of the big voices amongst college players, lobbying and pushing for the Big Ten to resume their football schedule. They weren't alone. Certain governors came in. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of letters from parents going to the Big Ten commissioner. And the Big Ten announced that they would indeed resume play based on new medical evidence. What that evidence is remains to be seen. I'm, of course, alone today. But that's all right. We should have a good show talking about the Big Ten, what that means for the Big 12. Excuse me, the Pac-12, not the Big 12. The Big 12 is indeed playing, though they're not playing very well. Um, And how this could impact UMass as certain college conferences start coming back. Let's kick it off with the Big Ten. I mean, since their inception, they pretty much were, if not the best, the second best college conference outside of the SEC. And the SEC has been playing. And now the Big Ten is back and playing. So it'll be very interesting to see. You have blue bloods like Nebraska, Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin. And we'll see how they do. Obviously, there's some huge games that will be had that aren't usually had because of the new Big Ten rules about you can only play in-conference games. So Penn State and Ohio State is going to happen. Michigan and Ohio State will probably will happen on December 12th, which is way earlier than usual. But that way they want to get it, make sure they get arguably the best college football rivalry out there. They want to make sure that is going to happen. The ACC and the Big 12 uh, have already started playing, like I said, but the SEC is going to kick off uh, at September 26th. So that's generally week four, but they're going to start then. Like I said, the Big Ten is trying to make sure that they have a chock-full slate with every team playing each other to make all-in-conference games. I believe it's going to be a nine-week schedule. You start off with Nebraska at Ohio State, Michigan at Minnesota, Penn State at Indiana, Iowa at Purdue, Illinois at Wisconsin, Rutgers at Michigan State, and Maryland at Northwestern. I mean, some of those games absolutely stand out. You have Michigan and Minnesota playing. Minnesota was a surprise really strong team last season they almost had a chance to make it to the big 10 conference final they kind of fumbled at the end there but they had a huge upset win against penn state and now they play michigan who of course they're michigan they're always supposed to be good and they have good seasons by anyone else's standards but we'll see how well they do this season only playing big 10 opponents Iowa and Purdue could be a good matchup, though Iowa could also run away with that one. And Illinois-Wisconsin could be an excellent matchup. Wisconsin nearly beating Ohio State in the conference championship game. And Illinois having some strong 
surprising wins last season. Rutgers and Michigan State. Rutgers, obviously, with new head coach Greg Schiano, probably not his preferred second rookie season as a head coach with Rutgers to be COVID-shortened, to have very little playing and practicing time, and then to go up against a solid team in Michigan State. Indiana probably drew one of the short straws along with Nebraska. Nebraska has to play Ohio State Week 1, and like I said, Justin Fields, who's been pining, hoping for the Big Ten to come back. Now he gets to come come back and go against a Huskers team that has not looked great in recent years, and Indiana uh, is also... Not exactly a top 25 team in Penn State uh, is probably going to kick off their season with a win uh, on the road, so to speak. But I think one of the big things to look at is why the Big Ten came back. They noted, you know, they came out before the season and said, we're not going to play because there's serious heart issues that could come from the coronavirus and we are trying to, you know, keep our players safe. Player safety is the number one thing. And they have reverse course. And so, you know, it stands to reason, did they get new information or are they simply bowing to outside pressure and the potential money that there is to make? I, th- I think it's a, I think it's fair to question either side of it. Um, you know, there's already been cases of multiple of Penn State athletes who have myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart muscle that seems to be caused by the by COVID. Dozens, if not hundreds, of just Big Ten athletes in general have been uh, found positive with coronavirus. And, you know, one of the issues is if you're in a state that is very much locked down and trying really hard to, to quarantine and keep people separate, New Jersey, New York are doing better jobs than, for instance, Nebraska, Ohio. It, you know, those schools have more incentive and, and more access to keeping students locked down, quarantined, testing constantly and regularly. But it's also on the students and on the coaching staff to make sure everyone understands how important and how dangerous this virus can be and how important it is that they treat this seriously. If you're going out to parties every other night, then you're going to get sick and you're going to infect the rest of your team and you're probably going to be shut down. When you look at the Marlins in baseball, they had, what, 27 players at a certain point getting getting sick with the virus and they uh, had to cancel a ton of games. There was no bubble. There's definitely going to be no bubble in college football right now. We know that much. We're still waiting to see if college basketball, which seems to be wanting to come back, we're gonna we're still waiting to see if they're gonna have bubbles at all. The obvious issue with having a bubble is then you'd have to designate student athletes as employees, which of course goes against everything the NCAA stands for. So it's definitely it's it's confusing. And I think we're seeing a lot of changes in the way the NCAA and college athletics work. Uh, the NCAA, of course, kind of left FBS football out to dry. It left a lot of college sports out to dry and said, you know, make up your own decisions. And so now they've had to. And we'll see how it all works out. You do have to wonder, of course, how this decision affects the Pac-12, who, after the Big Ten, said that, you know, we're not going to play originally. The Pac-12 came out. I believe it was a day later, and said we're not going to play either. And 
Now they are the only Power 5 conference that isn't playing. And you can also look at the MAC, who are their G5 conference, but they also announced they're not playing essentially a week after the Big Ten said they weren't going to play because the Big Ten and the MAC had a very close relationship. And they play a lot of uh, inter-games together, and the MAC often relies heavily on the money that comes from them playing Big Ten opponents. And so I think, you know, the MAC, once again, it's a group of five school. They certainly don't have the prestige of anyone in the Power Five, and it would be understandable if they didn't come back, especially if they weren't allowed to play Power Five opponents. That being said, for the Pac-12, they already could very easily fall behind in the you know TV contract race that's heating up between the Big Ten and the SEC and the Big Twelve, and if they, th- you know, I think you could very much see a situation where the TV revenue is just too much to lose. And I also think that you have to look at schools like UCLA and Oregon, Oregon State, Colorado, who all have top 25 aspirations. You know, Oregon was one game away. Utah was one game away from the college football playoffs last season. And I mean, obviously, they didn't make it, but they are definitely going to be schools that absolutely want a season to happen, even if they are reloading a little bit. Justin Herbert left Oregon, obviously. But these are definitely teams that are trying to get into the national spotlight more and more in the same ways that Alabama does, LSU does, even during down seasons. A big question, of course, is how does this impact UMass? UMass has made no announcements. UMass Athletics Director Ryan Bamford has said that they definitely want to play and they still want to try and play in the spring, spring of 2021. But, the, but of course, you know, you're an independent school. So it's not like they're in a conference and they can just automatically play games, right? If the conference comes back, okay, you have a schedule, here you go, go out and play. They have to schedule everything. And if conferences say we're not going to play out of conference games, then UMass is kind of left out in the cold, right? You know, they know that they're going to play, or at least they have a contract to play UConn, but UConn was the first school to say we're not going to play anything. It just very much remains to be seen how UMass could come back. Auburn was, of course, the really huge game this season. It's a big money game. Auburn paid approximately... $1.3 million for UMass to come and play them, and then that game got postponed because of the SEC saying, you know, you're not allowed to play out of conference games. And while SEC is still playing, and if UMass were to come back, that still doesn't mean that UMass could play Auburn. So, you know, I would love to see UMass play games in a safe environment, but at the same time, I think the biggest issue is how do you have a safe environment? You know, Massachusetts is relatively competent when it comes to handling the coronavirus and the UMass Mullen Center has been converted into a testing facility. They test over 2,200 people a day, five days a week, which is great. You know, all the players are supposed to go to get tested. All the coaches are supposed to get go and get tested. But that being said, if you, you're playing other teams, you're traveling, you're going to other states, you're flying, it's so hard just to keep everyone safe. You know, you can charter a plane, sure, but what about the people who clean the plane? What about the pilots? What about the flight attendants? What about the airport you get there? What about the bus drivers? What about the other players who you're playing against? It's so incredibly difficult just to limit the exposure. And if there are serious long-term health 
medical risks, I don't know if it makes sense to come back, especially for UMass, who, you know, realistically speaking, uh, as a beat reporter, I don't think they would have had more than four wins this season. I think, you know, I think somewhere between the three and the five win range would be hopeful. And that's not that's nothing against Coach Bell or the players they have, but they're a young team. They were had were absolutely stripped of talent before Bell got there, and he's had to you know completely rebuild from the bottom up. They just lost their best player in Isaiah Rogers, and Michael Curtis graduated, Randall West graduated, so your two starting quarterbacks are gone. It, it was not a good situation for them to be in, no matter what. You know, there's a reason that when a new coach gets to a school, you call it zero year zero of rebuild. This was supposed to be year one of the rebuild, and. They have a lot of young guys. They had 25 recruits that goes on top of their draft class or the excuse me, the recruitment class from last year. And you know, that's 40 or so scholarship players. That's not enough on an, you know, an 83-man FBS roster. And so just to give everyone there uh, extra time to develop, to train, to get bigger and stronger, I do think that's going to be invaluable, especially if they are going to try and play in the spring. That I think one of the biggest issues with college football, or not issues, but one of the biggest nuances to the game that you don't see in the NFL is that there is a huge age discrepancy. You have 18-year-old high schoolers going up against fully grown men who are 22 or 23 years old. And, you know, you need to get stronger. You need to get larger and smarter and faster and understand the speed of the game and the fact that you might not be the best athlete on the field. And, of course, that is only exasperated when you go up to the NFL, if you go up to the NFL. So for UMass to have that extra time, I think is invaluable, even if they don't play in the spring, to have a full year just to train and develop and get everybody a year older. And because of the coronavirus, they wouldn't lose a year of eligibility. I, I you know, That would be an amazing silver lining for a team that started seven true freshmen last season, the most that was tied for the most of anyone in the FBS, and the other two schools were Stanford and Alabama, who have a very different category of true freshmen than UMass does. So once again, when you think about it, right, you have all these true freshmen coming in. You don't even have to redshirt them. It's essentially a free redshirt. They would still be considered true freshmen next season, even if you don't play in the, in the spring. And... Now they're all a year older, they're bigger, they're stronger, they know the playbook, they are hopefully, you know, able to just immediately step in and understand the speed of the game. That'd be a really, really just cool step up, leg up on the competition that Coach Bell wouldn't have had normally. And even more so, you know, you're in Massachusetts. It's not a state. New England in general is not a region known to tolerate non-championship caliber teams, right? Like, you know, everyone talks about the Patriots because the Patriots have been championship caliber for the last 20 years. But once again, they've been, the, they've been that good for the last 20 years. The Celtics were championship caliber throughout the entirety of the 80s and throughout the entirety of the 60s. And because of that, people kind of don't really care if you're not elite. Right, everyone wants to talk about the Celtics, but the Celtics had a couple of bad seasons, and you know between 2012 and 2014, and no one cared. No one even wanted any part of them. And they started coming back. They got Tatum, they got Brown, whoever, and now people start to like them again. 
You look at the Bruins, you look at the Red Sox. Everyone loves the Red Sox, but everyone hates them. No one cares about them because, you know, they're tanking all the time. And, okay, you, you suck. I'll come back when you're, uh, you know, you're, you're a championship caliber team. And I think that's even more of an issue for college athletics. When you look at BC, who's produced some amazing NFL players and Luke Keekley and Matt Ryan, but if BC isn't a, you know, elite, really, really good bowl caliber team, eh, we don't really care. You know, UMass had some legendary runs in the tournament in March Madness, and during those days, oh yeah, people were all in on them, right? In the Calipari years, in the Chaz Williams years, and Trey Mitchell looks like an ascendant star, and fans will most likely come back for that, but once again, they come back when you're a championship caliber team, and UMass football was not going to be anything close. So to get out some of that, what do you want to call it? Some of the rough work, some of the grunt work, and then come back next season, and maybe you start looking really, really good, and you can build you or rebuild your fan base. That's invaluable, not just from a team perspective but also from a marketing perspective and an athletics perspective because, once again, the coronavirus has hit college athletics departments really hard. Uh, shout out to Ryan Gallant and Jillian Jacuba, the two of the SIDs here at UMass. They were just furloughed. Uh, a huge number of the UMass athletic staff has been furloughed. Some have been laid off. And that's due to the coronavirus. If you can't have sports, you can't make money off sports. So, you know, you need to either furlough or lay people off. And if you have bad teams, once again, you're not selling. That's you're you're not going to be selling tickets to stands. That being said, if you can train really hard during the coronavirus and get some of that badness out of the way and come back and you're young and exciting, all of a sudden you're in a much better position to do well and to help out not just your athletics department but the rest of the school. Because once again, good athletics is a major draw for not just student-athletes, but for other students, because people want to go to a school with a winning culture. There's a reason why, you look at the SEC, most of them have great teams just around the board. It's because people want to go to a winning culture. And you look at UMass, and you start to see that, okay, you start to see UMass hockey with Coach Carvel and Kale McCarr, and them going to the national championship game. And that's that's step one. Trey Mitchell, a top 100 ESPN recruit, that's step two. And by and you know his rookie season, where he went toe to toe with Obi Toppin, a, a almost locked in top five pick in this year's NBA draft. That's step two. So UMass absolutely has the tools and the ability to get there, and I think that. While it would be amazing to see them play in the spring, if it can't happen, I don't think you should force it because I think there are far better alternatives to trying to play three or four games that, you know, against Army or against some really good uh, group of five schools that didn't get to play and losing them all and just leaving a bad taste in your mouth going into the summer. I'm going to take a little break right here, but remember to stay tuned right here at WMUA Amherst. Welcome back. Jesse Cole, I can hear on WMUA Sports. Right here on WMUA Amherst 91.1 FM. The radio voice of UMass Amherst. This is the football show. 
We were talking a little college football beforehand, talking about what the Big Ten coming back means, what it needs to do. Pac-12, little UMass football updates. Thanks for for sticking with us. Let's talk about college football. Pittsburgh, number 21 ranked Pittsburgh, beat Syracuse. It was a close game. It was a tough game, but they won 21-10 yesterday. Cincinnati, dominant win over Austin PA. There's no real surprise there. Cincinnati very much has top 25, if not top 15, top 10 aspirations. They won 55-20. LA Lafayette pulled out the win against Georgia State. They are ranked number 19. They won in overtime, 34-31. Georgia State looked like they were going to pull up a stunner. They were up for a large part of the game, but LA Lafayette coming up big at the end. The Raging Cajuns had a uh, nice start to their season. They are ranked 19th overall. They could go up uh, when the next poll comes out. Speaking of a team that might drop heavily, even though they won, Oklahoma State was ranked 15th. They won 16-7 against Tulsa. They were down for a good chunk of that game. Tough, gritty game for Oklahoma State. The Big 12 has not looked great in its comeback to playing. OSU had a legitimate shot to make the top 10 last season. And Chubba Hubbard is back, who could be very easily the best running back in the NCAA. I don't know what happened there, but uh, a very close, tough win. A not-so-close, tough win. Notre Dame, number 7 ranked Notre Dame, smothered, absolutely smushed USF South Florida, 52 to nothing. Just utter destruction. They lost tight end Cole Komet. He is now on the Chicago Bears. It did not matter. Ian Book, 12-19, 143. No touchdowns, no picks. Cabot Flemister, 13 for 127 and a score. Averaged 9.8 yards per carry. Absolutely dominant. Throw in Chris Tyree and Kyron Williams. Both had over 60 yards on under 11 carries. Great games from them. And a defense that racked up two sacks. I mean, you got to love it. USF, you thought they were going to lose, but that was a brutal loss to take from a team that made the championship, excuse me, made the uh, college football playoffs two seasons ago and is looking to get back there. A team that no one expected to win, but pulled off a stunner against App State, who have looked amazing in their uh, ascension to the FBS from the FCS rank. 17-7 Marshall is now ranked 25. They beat App State. I did not see this coming. The Thundering Herd are 2-0 on the season. Zach Thomas for Appalachian State, 22-38, 268. One touchdown and one pick. They only ran, They rushed for under 100 yards, only 57 for Cameron Peoples, their lead running back. Not the game you expected. Thomas Hannigan had a pretty solid receiving day, 5 for 88. But not what you expected from a team that finished in the top 25 last season that has looked like one of the best teams in the Sun Belt and in the group of five since they moved up from the FCS. And a team that may have even had a shot to try and ascend and, and you know, elevate themselves to F, sorry, not FBS, uh, Power 5 relevancy. But give credit to Marshall. They really smacked it to him. Grant Wells, 11 for 25, 163 in a pick. Not a great day at the office. But Brendan Knox, 28 carries, 138 yards, 4.9 per carry. And it's a touchdown for him on the ground. And Grant Wells, the quarterback, he had six carries for 43 yards and a score. They got it done on the ground. That's exactly what you need. They got it. 
They got one interception. They had three sacks. Just solid defense, slug it out type of game that you wouldn't really see generally in college football. But they absolutely love that win, and they are going to take their 2-0 start to the season. As crazy a season as it's been, they're absolutely going to take it. Three more blowouts closed yesterday. UCF crunched Georgia Tech 49-21. UCF is now ranked 13th in the nation. I think it will be very interesting to see how they do this season. Obviously, the Big Ten coming back hurts their ability to become eligible for New Year's Six Bowls. But they could, I think, make some serious noise. Dylan Gabriel, the starting quarterback, 27 for 41, 417 yards with four touchdowns. Did throw one interception, but he absolutely went off. They had one, two, three, four, five, six rushers. Count them six with over 20 yards. That's amazing. Not to mention two receivers with over 100 yards and one receiver with 90 yards. Jacob Harris had four, or sorry, Trey Nixon had four receptions for 94 yards. That is exactly what you like to see from a dominant performance. Georgia Tech, one and one on the season now. Two interceptions from Jeff Sims, their starting quarterback. That is not what you want to see. Looking at Miami versus Louisville, this was probably the biggest game of the weekend because they were both ranked teams. Miami Hurricanes, are they back? We'll see. They are ranked 12. Louisville is ranked 24. Louisville now 1-1. One one. Miami ranked 2-0 in this early ACC matchup. De'Aaron King, the new starting quarterback for the Canes, 18-30, 325, and three scores. He's dealing. Not a great completion rate, but you will take it. You will take it. He had eight carries for nine yards, which isn't so good. But dealing in the air. Brevin Jordan, seven receptions, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Jalen Knighton had one catch for 75 yards and a score. Just one big play. You gotta love it. And Cameron Harris, nine carries, 134 yards and a touchdown. Got it done on the ground, averaged 14.9. And, I mean, we all love the new turnover chain from Miami. They got a new one every year. It looks pretty fresh. Al Blades Jr. with the pick, so he got the turnover chain. Louisville. Malik Cunningham couldn't get it done. 26-36, 3-0-7-yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Had a good day, just could not keep up with the Hurricanes offense and their ability to get turnovers. Great game for Miami to go up in the ACC. And last but not least, to, no, to the surprise of nobody, the Citadel got absolutely run over by Clemson. The Tigers won 49-0. Trevor Lawrence threw the ball nine times. He had 168 yards passing and three touchdowns. That's stupid. (laughs) That is absolutely absurd. The fact that he got 20 yards, he got over 20 yards per completion and three touchdowns. DJ Uigalele, I know I mispronounced that, I'm sorry. Uh, He was eight for 11 with 75 yards passing in relief. Travis Etienne only had eight carries for 68 yards. He didn't need to do much else. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten players rush for positive yardage. That's that's just dumb. No T. Higgins, no problem. Frank Ladson Jr., three catches, 87 yards, and two scores. That's all you need. Interestingly enough, they did not record an interception on defense, and but they did t- have a couple of sacks. 
just absolutely smothering play against the Citadel. Brandon Rainey, 2 of 9 for 38 yards passing is not a stat line you'd expect to see in the 21st century. But against a Clemson defense that doesn't seem to have taken any plays off from their loss in the championship game, uh, it doesn't exactly seem unlikely. They very much were stung losing to just a record-breaking LSU team and Joe Burrow, who of course is now in the NFL, the first overall pick. Clemson, I think with Trevor Lawrence in his last season in college, they want to get back there, they want to win one more time. We are almost out of time here, but I, so I'll just take a look at some future matchups for next week. We have some really interesting ones now that the SEC is back. Some really cool interconference games. Florida versus Ole Miss. Ole Miss probably going to lose that one. Florida is ranked number five, but that could still be interesting early season SEC action. Notre Dame versus Wake Forest. Wake Forest, of course, lost to Clemson, but they were a very good team last season. They only lost one game, which was also to Clemson. Notre Dame starting off undefeated. They're ranked number seven. Kentucky versus Auburn. Auburn had a stellar first season with Bo Nix under center as a true freshman. Auburn's ranked number eight. Kentucky's ranked 23rd. Auburn, of course, upset Alabama in the Iron Bowl. Can they get this win against the 23rd ranked Wildcats? We will see. And Mississippi State playing LSU. LSU ranked number six in the country. This, of course, after Joe Burrow and a bunch of other players left after the championship season. Of course, I think one of my favorite matchups has got to be FSU and Miami. Unfortunately, Mike Norville won't be there to coach because of coronavirus complications, but I think this could still be an early ACC great game to uh, kick off week four and SEC participation. This has been WMUA Sports, the football show at WMUA Amherst. My name is Jesse Glodkin. Thank you for tuning in and have a good rest of your day.